0: Tonight, we're doing part three of Real Love, and we're calling tonight Commandment. Let's, uh, let's go to our, uh, our theme verse of this series, and it's there at the top of your outline. It's found in Mark chapter 12, 29 and 30, and I want you all to read it with me, so let's uh, do this together. Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this: You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no great other commandment greater than these. And this uh, this is identified as the great commandment. In fact, all of all of uh, uh, what we do around here as a church is based on. This, the great commandment, and what's also called the great commission. The great commission is found in Matthew. When Jesus was just about to ascend back into heaven, He gave the great commission. And this is where He said, Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. That is the great commission. That was when Jesus, as He was bodily leaving the planet, His promise was that my spirit would come and fill your hearts and that you would be the expression. You'd be the body of Christ. You'd be the life of Christ. You'd be the the living expression of God on the earth as the body of Christ. That's the Great Commission. But this is the Great Commandment. And this, this is the commandment that deals with the internal, the mechanism of our heart, our mind, our soul, the very core of who we are, our strength. And the expression of our intimacy, our, our commitment, our dedication, our, our surrender to God in love is the way that we express that which He has given us, His very life, His very nature, to one another. And that's how we love one another as neighbors ourselves. And this was this, was this what, God, what Jesus pulled from here, what Jesus declared here, hero Israel, we, as we've talked through this series, was actually pulled from different places of the Old Testament. One portion of it was was pulled from the, uh, from the giving of the law in Deuteronomy, where, where God wanted the people to know that He is one, and that there's a unity of His people, that there's one God. There isn't, there isn't what the, the nations were, were uh, obsessed with worshiping false gods and false idols and, and multitudes of gods. And, and God wanted to make them realize there's only one source. There's one Lord. There's one creator. And, and get in alignment with who He is. Hear it. Know it. Believe it. Receive it. There is one Lord. And that our response to who He is needs to be a response of love with every aspect of who we are. Everything within us, we are, are to love Him. Okay, so that was, that was found in Deuteronomy. when we studied that. And then the second part of this was found as an obscure last phrase within a long list of, of uh, commandments uh, in Leviticus about how the people were to conduct their uh, their lives and how they were to treat one another. And at the kind of the end of this this long um, uh, uh, discussion or this commandment from the Lord, he says, "And you're to love your neighbors yourself." And all through that throughout these commandments, he kept saying, "I am the Lord." And, and, he, and he prefaces it, you shall be holy. You shall, you shall reflect the nature of who I am. I'm the Lord. I'm your Lord. And I want, you to, I want you to have my attitude about other people the same attitude that I have. And I want you to love them as you would love yourself. So if, if, you, if you were not going to abuse yourself, you're not going to uh, harm yourself, you're not going to uh, deprive yourself, if you, you're going to... Uh, you know, just have a natural inclination to, to care for, for your own life, preserve your own life, you should, you should look at others with, that, with no less of a care because what he's trying to teach us was that he is one and that we enter into unity with him. There's also a unity among all mankind and that we, we are not to see one another as foreigners, as less than, as different than, but even those that we hadn't even, hadn't even met yet. You know, they talked about you know, when you have crops. Don't, don't go and pick every last grape or every last head of grain. Leave some on the fringes of your crops. Leave some for those that would come by who are poor or needy or, or hungry. Just be conscientious that there are others around you that you should always just leave a little bit on the table. Just leave something behind and, and, and be careful. One another. And this was the command. Now, this command was an ancient command by the time Jesus showed around showed up this, this command in terms of the word of this was thousands of years old in terms of uh, the experience of God's people on the earth, okay But there came a, a, came a moment in Jesus' journey with his disciples, where the night came where it was the celebration of Passover and in this night in this passage and, and we find uh, an incredible um, discourse of the things that Jesus had most on his heart, that he most wanted to kind of leave his disciples with. You find it in the Gospel of John, in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and then chapter 17 is, is the prayer that he prayed uh, as part of his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane just before the, the, uh, the soldiers came to take him away. And in John chapter 15, Jesus made this statement. I'm, I'm sorry, John chapter 13. And so here, here's the first, first scripture on our outlines tonight. He said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In that same night, John chapter 15, Jesus says this, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. That's, that word abide means to stay or to live. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is My commandment, and he says it again, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Now, I want you to look at that. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. But he had already established what the greatest commandment was. It's what we already read. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He had already established that. I'm sure he had, he had drilled that into their hearts, into their minds several times. Anytime any uh, scribe or Pharisee or teacher of the law said, you know, okay, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus always, always the answer was always the same. So what's so new about this new commandment? What's, what's different about it? What's unique about what he said here that's any different than what he had said before? Let's look at the very... Obvious, nuancical difference. In the first commandment, love love God with all that's within you and love your neighbor as yourself. The nuancical difference, it's subtle. In the first commandment that was given thousands of years ago was love your neighbor as but I'm telling you now, love one another as I have loved you. The original standard of the level of love was how we loved ourselves. The new standard of love is how Jesus loves us. That's a huge leap, isn't it? it and it's just, it's just it's a, it's a, it's a, I mean, some, some of us have just didn't even leaped out there. But, but all of a sudden, for me to love you how I love me, is not the new level of the standard of the kingdom. Now, I need to love you the way Jesus loves me, not the way that I love me. And so my sense of self-preservation, my sense of selfishness, and then me taking my sense of self-preservation, my sense of selfishness, and then shoveling it off onto you and calling that love? That was good. It got humanity up to that moment. But Jesus says, now I want you to enter into a whole another understanding of love. This is no longer about your empowering the love. This is now about me, the Lord, coming into you and the love is no longer your loving as yourself. You're just you're passing through God's love. Jesus' love. Now all of a sudden it's not me do my best effort to love you. Because guess what? When I love you as myself, that's a pretty raw deal for you. <laughs> it's not all that great. I mean, it's good. It's, 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 it's an incredible standard. It's a standard in which God commanded them to live by. But Jesus says, I have come, and I'm, I'm going to do something that is so radical. It's not about... It's no, because he, he was changing everything about humanity. Because no longer was about man trying to live up to God's laws, falling short and offering a sacrifice, and then doing it again and doing it again. He says, now I'm going to take the sin away, and I'm going to put myself inside of you. And so now, no longer is is it going to be your best effort to love. Now it's going to be God-powered love. Isn't that cool? This is his new commandment. We called it commandment because... He is the king. He is the Lord of the universe. He is the king of kings. Like I've said, he's the king of kings. He's not Burger King. We don't get to have it our own way. And when he commands, when God words, it becomes. It's no different than when he said, Let there be light. And there was light. And when he says, let love now not be based on you doing your best effort to love me and your best effort to love each other how you love yourselves. Now, the new standard of love is I come and I will dwell within you. And your mind and your heart and your soul and your strength becomes the temple, the dwelling place, the abiding place Presence of the Almighty God. And because God is love, and who I am will now come and live inside you, now that what comes out of you is me. And what comes out of you is love. So now I don't need to try to love you as I love myself. Now, the love that I love you with is the love that I've received. It's not love I'm trying to generate, love I'm trying to conjure up, I'm trying to feel. This is not a feeling anymore. This is something that's beyond me. It's beyond my best effort. And that's really pretty great because my best effort can fail. But God never fails. His love is perfect. His love is all powerful. All enduring. The trick now is for me to get out of the way. For me to let him be himself in me. And that's where the sacrifice comes in. I, I got I to gotta, I gotta lay down my own agenda, my own pride, my own selfishness. I've got to stop trying to love you by how I feel it's best for you. And i got to stop making, making sure it goes through the filter of, well, I'm going to love you as I love myself. I'm sure I'm going to take off all the best part of it first <laughs> and give you what's left over. I'm going to suck it dry and then just kind of throw you the crumbs of my love. <laughs> no, now it, now it, it's, it's, a, it's an absolute, complete pass-through. And the mindset of my life is I don't just live for myself. My life is yours. And that which God has given me, that's who God is in me. That's how Jesus loved me. He gave his everything. And he didn't let anything, anything remain that would separate me and him. He took all the barriers away. He poured his very life into me. And that means that if I'm going to obey him, and I'm going to abide in the essence of his word, of his command, of who he is, of his love, then I I don't have the right to measure it out. Well, I'll love you if. I love you because. I love you. No qualifications whatsoever. It's complete, self sacrificed, unconditional, sacrificial, God empowered, not me empowered, pure, true, real love. And that's his new commandment. He says, This is how they're going to know you're my disciples. That, you just, that this thing is just flowing one to another. It's an, and and the, it's going to take the world, and every time they see this happen, they're going to go, what is that? They're not loving each other based on any of the things that we call love. They're, they're just giving their lives for each other. Not based on how much money they have, what they look like, their, their status, or their lack thereof. They see one another as As much as them as they are. You're just as much a part of me as I am. And you're part of me too. And I'm not just loving you just as myself. No, now I have I have been not based on my qualification, I have just received God. And now I can do no less than just give you all of God that's in me. I love you as He has loved me. Isn't that neat? Yes, sister. You bet. That's supernatural. I mean, yes, it's spirit. It's all spirit. So it's not how as we as human beings, can you do this? Get out of the way. Yeah, it's, Terry, it's... out of the way, is easy to say, that's words. Mm-hmm. How do you do it? Trick, Terry, <laughs> you're, you're like <laughs> Get out of the way. Here's the trick, Terry, and you're not going to like this answer. Get out of the way. No, no, you, you, you said that's triton, so I'm, I'm going to say it in a different way. You don't do it. You respond to it. You obey it. Uh, the, the, the power of it, the perfection of it, the, the, the exchange of it, the happening of it isn't your effort. It's your believing. This is what we believe. I believe. I trust, Lord. I, I've never seen you. You're invisible to me. But your word says that if I believe on your name, if I believe what you did on the cross of Calvary, you will come and live within me. And what that is, that spirit, that life that's within me, is now no longer just me trying. It's you living your life in me, you living your life through me. Okay? So now, when you walk through the door and you give me a hug, and we our lives exchange with one another, I'm not just receiving Terry. I'm receiving Christ. Through you. You're loving me. Not because of what I look like, what I did for you, what I didn't do for you. You're just showing up and you're just making yourself available to be a vessel of whatever it is that God wants to say through you, do through you, express through you. Even if you don't even say anything, just you're showing up. You're going to believe God is going to God himself through you. That's how it happens. You get get yourself out of the way. We don't do it. He does it through us. And that's how we love as Jesus loved us. And, and when, we see, uh, when we see someone, God knows. And you can meet someone for the very first time, and you can know nothing about them. The guy could speak to your heart and says, that, that person needs, needs you to, to just care for them. Ask them a question. And listen. And be sympathetic. Maybe, it, maybe you need to pray for them. Maybe you just need to encourage them. Maybe you just need to give them a hug. Maybe you just need to just hang out with them. Maybe you need to ask their name. Maybe you say, how, how can I care for you today? The Holy Spirit will tell you because Jesus will be the one loving through you. This actually takes us to another level, and, and we haven't gotten into this, but might as well take the moment because I got the microphone and you guys all showed up. <laughs> In John chapter 5, Jesus said this, I can, I, now this is an amazing statement to me, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. But what I see the Father doing, that's what I do. Now imagine this. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If anybody can do anything and do it perfectly how God would do it, it was Jesus. Jesus Jesus could say, I'm going to try that out. And it's God doing it. And it will be perfect. But But his own confession, his own... Testimony about his own life is, I, me, can do nothing on my own initiative. I only do what God is doing, what the Father is doing, and whatever I perceive what the Father is doing, that's what I do. I only say what I perceive the Father is saying. Okay? Now this this is so foreign to our thinking, but but that's how Jesus loved us. That's how Jesus. That's what Jesus' example was. So okay. So now I step in the same thing. All right. Let me not just think about what I think is a good idea of what I think that person needs, loving them as I would love myself. Father, how would you love them? And I'm going to take the risk to respond and to obey that and do that. And I'm going to try to not try to fix them, not try to correct them, not judge them, not condemn them, not try to, you know, meanize them, not love them because they're the kind of person that I want them to be. I'm going to love them for who they are, where they are, as they are, because that's how Jesus loves me. Every single time. And every time I fall short, I ask his forgiveness. Does he argue with me? Does he debate with me? Does he negotiate with me? No, it's it's already been extended to me before I even ask. And that should be, we should know that every single time a new person comes into your life, you already love them. Completely unconditionally before they've ever said a word to you, before they've ever done a thing for you, they don't have to prove themselves, qualified. you already love them. Not because you love them, because Jesus, you know Jesus is already loving them. He already wants to embrace them and care for them and give His life for them and let them come into the fullness of who He is. And all I know is that He's decided to put that that power, that love, that, that character in me. And so it's not me showing up and doing it, it's... Hi, I'd like to uh, meet you. My name is Jeffrey Christ. <laughs> not because I am my own Christ. Because Christ, the Christ, lives in me. No longer I live, but Him living through me. Now, I would not be so presumptive to say that because people would be worried about that. But my mindset is, whenever I talk to anybody, whenever I greet anybody, whenever I show up to someone who I've known a long, long time and maybe they've done me some really bad things... I have no other option but to Christ them, to God them, to love them. That's real love. Any other kind of love is not real love. It's self-love. It's it's artificial love. It's carnal love. It's uh, you know sexual love. You know even even phileo, friendship love. It's good. It's great. But it's not Christ love, which has no qualifications whatsoever. <laughs> this is what all Christians have to have to wrangle with this. We all have to come to a moment, boy, am I going to really believe this? Am I going to become this? Am I going to live this way? Jesus says, if I do this, then I'm really his disciple. I really am becoming like Christ. I really am learning of him. I really am being what he's called me to be. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking. It's just um, simply saying, Lord, I can't. I can't do this. But I'm willing, and I ask that you would love this person. You love them through me. me. Exactly right. Yeah, I think we have to ask Him, and we have to admit that we can't. And people that treat us wrong, I think He wants us to be honest and say, Lord, I don't like that person. I don't like the way they're treating me. I don't like what they're doing. But Lord, I know You love them, and You died for them, and I'm willing to let you love that person through me and lay my feelings aside. That's absolutely correct. Did you hear what she said? Yes. Yeah. So we have that attitude. Lord, I, I can't do this, but you want to do it through me. I'm a vessel. I'm a vessel of your grace. I'm a vessel of your love. Now, then we learn how to live in, in wisdom with each other. There's, some, there's, there's boundaries. There's trust levels. There's, uh, there's corrections. There's uh, interactions. I mean, and the Bible gives us all kinds of instruction on how to do that. But it doesn't, matter what, it doesn't matter what that is. If, if we come to a place where we can no longer extend a certain level of trust to someone, because sometimes there's violations and people have to have boundaries like that. But it never stops me from loving them. It never stops me from forgiving them. Okay? So, so it's, it's not like this, well, I just love and I just let anybody do anything they want to me. No, that's not what <laughs> Jesus said. <laughs> that's not what Jesus said. Oh, okay. But everything that I do do, every way that I do express my life, every time I show up, I can't do this, God, but you, you love them, and you tell me what's right, what's appropriate, what's correct, what's not correct, what do you want me to say, and what do you not want me to say? What do you want me to do? What do you not want me to do? How do you want to love this person through me? And, and, it's, and, it's, and it becomes this constant, sensitive, hearing his voice. And, and that's why we're in this word. The more I read it, and more, I'm mirroring that word that's in me. The more I can recognize His voice when He speaks into my heart and my mind, and so I know because I know I know His voice because because I, I can validate it through His written word, and I experience it through living it in a life of love. Okay, let's let now let's move on. Thanks for your questions and your observations. This is this is really rich. First John 3, 11. Last week we looked at First John chapter four. Now we're going to go back up one chapter. And uh, remember we talked about John. This is the same John that everything we've read tonight is from the same uh, apostle, this, uh, this apostle of love. He says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. And he's hearkening back to what Jesus told them that night before he went to the cross. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Now, what a statement is that? So, you know, we can say, well, you know, that's a, yeah, Pastor Jeff, that's nice. You want me to be love. <laughs> well, I don't feel like it. <laughs> oh, that's just, that's just too much of a sacrifice. John, John just slaps us right between the eyes and says, listen, God is love, And God is life. Either you're going to be in love and in life and live by love and live by life, or you're going to live by something else. And anything that's other than God is separated from life. And to be separated from life is death. And so this is what he's saying. Either I let God live through me, or I'm or I'm choosing to not live in... I'm abiding in that which is separated from the very nature of who God is. Either I'm godding, or I'm dying. Either I'm living in the eternal life of the Spirit of God that's within me, or I'm remaining in darkness, I'm remaining in death. That's, that's what he's saying here. Okay? You abide. If you, don't, if you do not love, you abide, you remain in death. Verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Okay, let's stop. That one's kind of harsh, isn't it? Everyone that hates is a murderer. Come on now, that's a little rough. There's a spirit to this, though. And Jesus said something that very, is very, very similar to this, okay? Okay. So I want you to take your Bibles, those of you that brought your Bibles, that's why well I ask you to bring your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to insert a little little understanding into that into that statement. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. In Matthew chapter 5, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 of the Gospel of Matthew is called the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount? This is uh, Jesus' most well-known sermon. It was a discourse. It wasn't a sermon in what we would commonly think of a sermon. You know, I mean, it's not like he handed out notes and outlines and, and mm-hmm. everybody turned to their scrolls. Uh, and we call it Sermon on the Mount. You get the impression that he climbed up way high up in a mountain somewhere. Actually, it probably would have been more accurate to describe it as the, the discourse on a hill. He, uh, he was sitting in, a, in kind of an a area of... Of gentle rolling hills. It'd be like if we went out to this, you know, this area out here where there's you know kind of a grassy area, and, and his disciples gathered around him. And he began to discuss or to reveal the principles, the, the mindset, the context of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And in much of this discourse, in in certainly in this portion in chapter 5, in the beginning part of his discourse, after he gave what we call the Beatitudes, the attitudes of the kingdom, he began to take the Ten Commandments. He began to take the basis of the law of the nation, and he brought a... um, not, not a change, not a refute, not a dispute, but a deeper level to them. So just like when Jesus says... The law has always been, love your neighbor as yourself, but I'm giving you a new commandment. I want you not to love your neighbor just as yourself. You need to do that, but, but even more than that, now I want you to love your neighbor as I've loved you. Okay? This was always Jesus' pattern, and he did the same thing in the Sermon on Mount. He says, the Bible, the Word of God says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And that was basically a, a commandment. You know, uh, justice should be should be meted out. If someone steals something, takes something, robs you of something, uh, injures you in a certain way, justice would be meted out. That they that that when it's paid back to them, they should they should suffer the same degree of of what you're lost. No more than what, no more than what they took from you. It's an eye for an eye, not two eyes for an eye. You know, it's not like because that was that's kind of mankind's thing. Okay, you hurt me, you hurt me bad. I'll hurt you twice as bad. You know, that's kind of how mankind was in there, and God was was bringing a cessation to that. He says, yes, there needs to be judgment. Yes, there needs to be justice, but it's equal. Okay, if if. They take one from you, then one is taken from them, kind of thing. And he says, and Jesus, Jesus was saying, this was the law. This is how you've governed your lives all these generations, all these centuries as, as a nation, and this is what you teach that.' But I say to you, and, and then he, he would say, I want to go beyond just your behavior. I want to go beyond your actions. I want to go beyond the externals of how you just do it by the letter of do this legalistically. I want to delve deeper into the way that you think about this. I want to get into your hearts, and I want to get into the motivation. I want to get into the reason why you do what you do to each other, and I want you to fix that. I want you to let God come in and repair your hearts, not just uh, uh, cause you to conduct yourselves in certain ways. Does that make sense? What I'm saying, okay? And I and I don't want obviously I don't want to teach the Sermon on the Mount tonight, but. But I do want us to pull out because, because of this one thing where it says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That sounds so harsh, but look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and verse 22. Jesus says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. How I many of you know that's part of the Ten Commandments? You should not commit murder. This, was, this is baseline God's commandments to people. Now, this, this, is, this was, was not a hard one for people to, br- to embrace. It wasn't like when God says, thou shalt not murder, everybody heard this one. Oh no, we got to stop killing each other. <laughs> I mean, I would think across this planet, even those who have never even heard the word of God, they probably generally think, you know, it's probably a pretty good idea for you not to just walk up to a stranger and stick a knife in their back, take their life from them. It's just no way for, it's not, it's completely, it's just it's not polite. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then he gave a little bit of clarification. He said, You've heard it say, you should not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Okay? So if you murder someone, and people see it, and they know that you did, you're going to be tried over it, there's going to be a judgment. You don't get away with it. People don't just go through the land killing people. In fact, if, you know, with those kind of things, we go hunt those kind of people down, we catch them, and we, and we try them. And you're liable before the court. Good civil justice, good human interaction, good healthy law, okay? You're going to murder someone, you're going to be put on trial for it, okay? Jesus takes this, kicks it up a notch and says, okay, but I say to you that everyone who is Angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoa! That's a little bit of a leaf, isn't it? You kill someone, you're guilty before the court. Okay, I, I can see that. But angry? Yeah. Come on, Lord. Got me some slack. Angry? Okay? He doesn't stop there. And whoever shall say to his brother, Racha, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Kicks it up even a higher notch. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Most of us, Hear Jesus say that and say, "Well, he just must be teaching one of those parables. He can't really mean what he's saying, right?" Well, let's let's just move on. What else? What else you got, Jesus? What else you got in that bag of tricks of yours? Because we don't we don't we don't want to deal with this one. In fact, can we? Is there any way we can just kind of cut that out of the book? There. <laughs> you must mean something so high and lofty and heavenly, which just can never understand this. I, I don't think that was his intent. <laughs> when I'm angry with you, it gives me the right because I've been offended, because I've been hurt, because my sense of right and wrong or good or bad or whatever causes me to have a wrath, a criticism, a judgment. Is all anger sin? No. In fact, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. But Jesus is saying, watch your heart. Watch your heart. Because there could be an anger that is a defense mechanism, a proper appropriate def- defense mechanism. But anger is addictive. And once you, once you experience anger, and then all of you say, you know what? I like it, it's justified, in fact, I'm going to stay angry. In fact, I'm going to keep anger right here, just in case I ever need it. (laughs) And I'm always going to be just a little bit angry. Because that way, if anybody does anything anyway sideways to me, I'm going to hold them in judgment. I'm going to hold them under my wrath. Jesus says, a heart like that comes before the judgment of God, who knows our hearts. He says, why are you choosing to stay angry all the time? It's, I understand anger, it's a, it's a natural, it's a protective response, but why, why, did you, why did you drink of that spirit and stay there? Why do you remain angry? Anger comes, but what needs to follow anger? What needs to come follow anger? There would need to be, appropriately, forgiveness, wouldn't there? If there's, a, if there's a clash, if there's a flare-up and there's a clash and there's a conflict, once that anger subsides... You know what? You were wrong, I'm sure I was wrong. Please forgive me, please forgive me. I love you. We move on. But you made me angry, and therefore I'm angry at you. We're done for the rest of our lives because, because you made me angry. Cut, cut off. Cut off my brother because I'm angry, and it's justifiable because he did something that offended me. All of a sudden, I've just cut myself off from life, right? But Jesus takes it to another level. Now, in our language, it doesn't I mean... Call somebody Raka. What was the last time you called somebody Raka? Never. Never. But in that culture, in that language, to say Raka, what it meant was, you're nothing. The word means empty. You're void. As far as I'm concerned, you don't exist. You're nothing to me. You have no value to my life. Raka. How dare we? How dare we, in our judgment, ever get to the point where we become indifferent to another human being. One created in his image. One who he gave his life for. For me to say, well, Jesus died for you, but to me, you're nothing. And we got to guard our hearts because then God kind of raises up the level of judgment there. He says, listen, you have it within your ability To turn your eyes and turn your heart and not see your brothers and sisters in pain. Not see your brothers and sisters in suffering. Not see your brothers and sisters in their neediness. And just to say, well, if I just close my eyes and I don't see you, you're not there. You don't exist. Or if in my interaction with you, there's become an offense. There's become a hurt. And then rather than working through the hurt, and saying, Lord, love them in spite of my feelings, I just pretend like, I'm done. You're gone. You're off. Erased. Delete. Right? Context. Offender. Delete. Raka. Gone. Empty. Gone. Don't exist to me. You, you mean nothing to me. Jesus says, Anger, be careful. Because that, that can bring you to a place of judgment before God. Completely voiding out the value of another person? Supreme Court. But if you say, fool, now you're, now you're dealing with, with hellfire kind of judgment. Fool is, would be another word for it, and a word that we don't use much would be insipid. Um, Not fool like fooling around. Not only only are you nothing to me, you are less than. You're less than human. You're less than valuable. I despise you. I have contempt for you. The problem in human interactions is we are very, very easily drawn into this idea where we contempt other people. We call them names, we demean them, we dehumanize them. And I, I, would, I would think it wouldn't, I wouldn't have to scratch too far. Every single one of us in this room, at one time or another, Someone on the playground or in the office or in the home or sometime in your life, someone in their own way called you a dirty name, called you a fool, called you a bozo. That's what they called me. It does more than than hurt the body, it destroys our soul. It kills our spirit. There's a psychological identity damage when we are held in contempt by other human beings. We are designed to be accepted, to be embraced, to be members of one another. And when we don't even allow that to happen, not because we've just voided them out, but because we've said, you are not even worthy of my care. We have committed murder. Of who they really are. See, I can kill your body, that's temporary. If I kill your spirit, I kill your soul, I've killed the eternal person within you. If I am to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, this is what Jesus had said just before, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. If I'm if I am to be the the expression of God's accepting, forgiving, unconditional love to other people, and I'm saying that they're nothing. Or worse, that they're a fool, that they're in contempt in my eyes, I have shut them off from receiving at, in any way, shape, or form the Father's heart towards them. I can't love someone and hate them at the same time. So for me to hate, despise, demean, devalue, I might as well kill them. And this is what John's saying. If you hate your brother, you've committed murder, not physical murder, soul murder, identity murder, relationship murder. You've, you've just you've severed just, you've just the, very, the very flow of love, you've severed the flow of life. You've created death for yourself, for yourself, because you can't love and hate at the same time. Does that make sense? So... We can say, man, that seems so harsh. But in the heart of the Father, this is very harsh. How we view one another, how we care for, how we love, how we God, how we Christ, how we interact with each other, as far as God is concerned, this is a matter of life and death. It's the most important thing about you. Not how much money you have, not what you look like, Not what you do for your living. How do you love? How do you God? How do you Christ? Are you a life-giving source? He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Whoever has the world's goods and see his brother in need closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We will know by this, that we are of the truth, that we assure our heart before Him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. We all fall short of this. We're all guilty. I mean, just as much as I could, I could say, uh, yeah, boy, I, what, what, had, what, remind, what remains in me as the most painful Memories, the most difficult things for me to overcome are the things that people have said or done to me that have caused me to be devalued, where I've been contented. But i got to admit, I've done it too. It's been done to me. I did it back. Maybe not to the same person, but I've done it. My heart condemns me. i got to say I'm guilty. But you know what's so beautiful? God is greater than our hearts. And even though we're flawed vessels of love, his love is greater than our flaw. And even when we don't measure up, all all that we need to do is make one step back, say, everywhere that I have fallen short, everywhere there's a sin, everywhere there's a gap, Lord, just fill it up with you. And it covers the multitude of sin, it fills that which is missing, it restores the breach, and his love He doesn't disqualify us. He just loves us all the more. And that makes us sensitive to the fact that we got to stay out of the way. Because when we get in the way, we hinder it. But when we let Him have His way, because He is the way, then love continues to flow. Okay? Does that make sense? In those things where our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we honor you. We thank you. We praise you. Cause your love to rise up within us so that it overflows from us that we may express who you are because you are love. And may each one of us receive from you and give that which you've given to us that we may all be built together in you in unity, in your power, in your life, in your spirit, in your word. We thank you for it. We open our hearts and our ears to receive it and become it, to obey it, to believe it, to live it. And we ask this in the name of the one who gave his life for us, the name of the one in whom we believe, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.